Hello, I'm Nick, and this is the Niche Aviation Podcast. Today I speak to Lionel Vanderwelt, the Global Chief Commercial Officer for PayCargo. PayCargo is an online platform for air cargo. Their platform is used by over 3,000 vendors and has processed over $10 billion to date. If you'd like to learn more about how air freight payments are being disrupted, then this is the podcast for you. Initially, it'd be great just to learn a bit more about yourself and how you got into aviation and maybe before aviation. Excellent. Yeah, thanks for the invitation, Nick. It's great to have the opportunity to talk with you and share a bit about the industry. So myself, I think this is a bit of a boring part, actually. Not at all, not at all. (laughs) When I finished school, I ended up having to go to the military in South Africa. We had uh, all the the young men leaving school who were forced basically to be conscripted for a two-year period. We had a war on at that stage in Angola and Mozambique. And I was lucky I came in at the trailing end of that, but ended up being drafted into the South African Air Force. Enjoyed it so much, I stayed on and I joined on permanently. So I spent five years in the South African Air Force initially started off on the technical side, so I actually qualified as an aircraft maintenance technician. I spent most of my time on helicopters, and then from there went into the air traffic control side. As I said, five years down the line, decided to move into the civilian sector and joined ATNS, Air Traffic Navigational Services Company, and went through another training period for air traffic control and then qualified there. I did all, all the training takes place in Johannesburg, at Johannesburg International, or our Tambo as it's known today. And then from there, I also spent time in Bloemfontein, which is in the center of South Africa. And I headed up the air traffic control station in Kimberley, which is a, a smallish town. It's probably about two hours from Bloemfontein. What happened, you know, once I had finished my air traffic control career, I actually, I was at that time getting very involved in industry meetings as a representative for ATNS and got headhunted by South African Airways to come and work for them. So I ended up transitioning onto the airline side and basically got into airline operations, scheduling of aircraft, being that sort of interface between the air traffic control side and airline operations. And once again, I'm passionate about the industry. So whenever there were industry meetings, so we had a fuel crisis in South Africa where we ran out of fuel. I was the guy sticking up my hand and getting involved in these ad hoc meetings representing South African Airways. And because of that, the International Air Transportation Association, when they were looking to find somebody to run the region, a headhunter found my profile and I ended up working for the International Air Transport Association. And that was that springing board for me where I moved from South Africa into Europe, heading up IATA's uh, operations in the Madrid Center for the European region. Yeah, and you've been around quite a bit. You were in Europe and you've done US and and you've also worked a bit in the Bahamas. Is that right? (laughs) One of my roles with IATA out of Miami was I was the regional head of the Caribbean. So a terrible job, you know, <laughs> <laughs> flying flying in and out of all of the Caribbean islands. But, uh, uh, you know, it, it sounds glorious, right? It's, uh, you're in the Caribbean with, with uh, all these islands. But I was the one guy walking around in a suit while everybody else was in their bathing and swimming trunks, right? Yeah. 
I, I can imagine actually on the outside, it sounds like this glamorous lifestyle, but actually you're jumping on planes away from your family, visiting these places. It's not a holiday, but equally it does sound, sound quite glamorous. Yeah. And, and one of the problems in the Caribbean, it's not, it's not like you can fly from Miami to Trinidad and Tobago and then just go from there to another island. Many times you, you don't have connectivity between these islands. So you're having to each time come back to Miami just to head out back again. Oh, wow. What's the move from IATA across to pay cargo then? Was, what made that for you? What was there? So my last role, with, and, and I say IATA, um, but it was IATA lost its antitrust immunity in the United States. So they weren't allowed to operate their CAS and cargo programs as they do around the rest of the globe. So what happened at that point in time, a couple of years back, they actually established a cargo network services corporation, a for-profit company. IATA is the shell, so it is part of the IATA family. I ended up being the president of CNS, so spent a lot of time representing the needs of the carriers here in, in the United States in terms of air cargo, right? During that period, I got introduced to pay cargo and actually worked with Pay Cargo to basically set up an endorsement program and close an agreement with Pay Cargo to say that this is a great service for our member carriers because in the United States, CNS only had an export CAS program, Cargo Account Settlement System, not an import. And Pay Cargo was focused on the import side. So, so it was a great complementary service and of value to the members. Post that, I actually left IATA CNS and went totally out of the industry. I ended up working in an amaz another amazing industry representing building enclosure consultants, which are basically architects and engineers in the construction industry. The idea was I was looking for something that would take me out of my comfort zone, that would challenge me. So I had no network, didn't know anything about the industry. I just knew how to run an association. Incredible opportunity. I had a lot of growth there doing that. But during that period, PayCargo approached me and, and we started talking and I got involved and, and joined the PayCargo board. And post that, fast forward a couple of years, I ended up taking on a more active role as the president and CEO for the Americas at PayCargo. And that's where I am today. Before we maybe, because a lot of people who will be listening to this won't have heard of PayCargo. I certainly didn't. But now I've learned about it and been reading and it's definitely something that I can't believe hasn't existed before. So maybe if we initially just give me a really high level or us all a high level overview of what pay cargo is. Perfect. Yeah, so pay cargo initially started on the ocean side of the industry. And the whole idea was you had some industry executives from the ocean side who were getting frustrated by the fact that payments were actually negatively impacting the release of cargo and freight on the ocean side. So you had the system that was developed where in the US, all of the payments or the majority were, were still paper checks, vouchers, very antiquated paper processes. So PayCargo is an online payment system that was developed to help expedite payments and, and thereby the release of cargo on the import side. That then transitioned to the air side and it was a pretty seamless transition because if you can imagine the scenario on the ocean side, you had very specific vendors. It's the ocean carriers and the ports. On the air side, you've got very specific vendors traditionally. It's the airlines and the ground handlers. 
And then in the middle of those two, you've got the same group of payers, which are your beneficial cargo owners, your freight forwarders, NVOCCs, et cetera, right? So it only makes sense that you create this ecosystem where you can facilitate payments multimodal across all of these. So that's basically what PayCargo does. PayCargo is a financial tech company. So it's a, basically we use technology to transform payments within the logistics industry. Yeah, and I think you've been growing year on year, doubling every year. And I think what's stemmed from my mind is is the fact that the freight industry is so behind a lot of other industries. And we've spoken about this before, but but it'd be interesting from your perspective to understand why why the freight industry is so lagging and why is that problem hasn't been solved before? Kind of why why now? You know, there's there's been and, and you're absolutely right, it's a very antiquated industry from that perspective. There's been a lot of efforts from various associations, you know, FIATA, TIACA, IATA, to help transform and modernize the industry. But the problem is that there are so many touch points when you're doing international freight movements to get that coordination across countries and across different sectors, you know, is extremely difficult. Also, if you look and I talk now about the air side, within an airline, Cargo, air cargo is sort of the black sheep of the family traditionally, right? So all of the emphasis and the investment and, and the biggest revenue flows are from the passenger side. So obviously, from a business perspective, when the executive management and boards are looking at this, that's where they're focusing their attention on. So the cargo family has always been scrapping and fighting to get the, the light shone in it and to get funds to modernize and do all of these projects. And it's the same thing at airports. You look at airports. Airports are traditionally and inherently built around passenger movement. And then cargo is sort of tagged onto that as a secondary thought in most cases. And you can see it by management, right? Normally, your your cargo representative is not quite as senior as what you have for the rest of the people. And they don't always get the attention they need. Before I fast forward, what I would also say is that there are many companies that have done a lot of great work. I mean, there's a lot of freight forwarders that have had huge projects to basically modernize. There are airlines that have done a lot. So American Airlines, for example, is one where they had a huge project prior to COVID to actually modernize and take, they, I don't know, they had something, like, I can't remember the number, some ridiculous number, of, I don't know, 20, 30 plus different systems where they brought it all into one system. So there were actually was a lot of foresight there by the leadership at the airline to modernize. And, and when COVID struck, obviously, that put them in a very good position to pivot and to be able to respond to that. Now, let's talk about COVID. So what has COVID done? COVID has basically removed the passenger side of the business. And then all of a sudden, now, cargo is, you know, the wonder child, especially within the, the, air, the airline industry because most of the revenues are now coming from cargo. So that's one of the great benefits and, and silver linings around this cloud of COVID that's come within our industry as it's really accelerated investment and transformation within our industry. And, and it's not just, you know, the investment, but if you look at cargo, cargo, what cargo does around the globe, people don't even think about it. You know, it's, uh, if you're getting your flowers on Valentine's Day for your wife, your girlfriend, your mother, or you're ill in a hospital and you need medication and, and it needs to be flown, you're not thinking about it. You just take it for granted that you walk to a place or you get it at the pharmacy or, 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 the, or the florist, etc. There's this whole logistics value chain behind that nobody ever thinks about. 
So, and, and that's what drives the economies of the world is this industry that we're working in. So right now, with everything that happened with COVID, that light has shone very brightly on our industry. I can only hope because, you know, this is, this is going to pass too. It's not in, not in the next month or two, but in a year or two that will, uh, it will pass. But I'm hoping that people will remember what sort of value this industry has played and how valuable it is and how important it is to have those investments to modernize it. Yeah, I agree. Do you think now that we've had coronavirus and we've had also the acceleration of e-commerce and the movement, so for example, Amazon continuing to grow and expand and the movements from China, do you think that there will just have to be prioritization on cargo now then because if things aren't going to go back to how they were pre-COVID? Yeah, I think people's behavior inherently has also changed. So a lot of people who never wanted their teams to work from home, for example. Most people, they're they starting to learn, well, there's quite a benefit you gain from working from home also in terms of cost, right? A lot of people sitting at home who used to say, I'm not, I don't trust, you know, online purchases. I would rather go into the store, have a look at things, and then do the physical transaction in person. We're forced now, if you wanted to buy something or bring something in to, to your home, you had to get involved in this e commerce uh, revolution. So, and, and, and I heard a statistic a while back, it was something that, you know, within six months, we had, we had done about 10 years of growth in the e-commerce world. It's a, it's a crazy number, right? But that's how quickly it advanced and accelerated due to COVID. So do I see all those people changing their ways? No, I think a lot of people now that they, they're used to doing this and, and transacting that way, they're going to continue. And you also, what you have to take into mind is there's a younger generation that's coming into play, right? And that younger generation, you know, they never grew up with checks and having cash in the wallet and going into stores and communicating even by emails and stuff. You know, it's, it's all, it's all electronic. It's all virtual. So if you take those various factors and you combine it, I, I think there's going to be a change now. If you look at it from a board perspective and the decisions being made by airlines and, and airports, frankly speaking, I think there will be a more importance on it, but people will revert to their old ways, I predict, because at the end of the day, you know, money, money talks. And once passengers start flying again and that becomes the predominant revenue streams, you're going to want to optimize that for your business. Yeah. You touched on checks there, and I think it's worth because this is a big part of your business and, and our European and outside of the US, most of the listeners won't really understand this. But but I read that 10, well, actually one of your blogs spoke about how less than 10% of international freight payments in the US were electronic. They were done through checks. So maybe if you can just explain this situation for us and, and actually what how the US works. Perfect. And and what I'll do is I'll start off by explaining it from a personal experience I had when I when I moved to the US in 2011. So I moved to the US, came from Europe, obviously, as I said, I was living in Madrid, Spain at that time. Came to the US, wanted to rent a home for my family, signed the agreement, and the first month comes and now I want to make the payment for my home. And I contacted the owner and said, listen, you haven't shared your banking details with me. I would like to set up an automated push so I can have the money automatically transferred into your account each month. And I had the most strange reaction which blew me out of the water. It was basically, listen, 
there's no way I'm going to give you my banking information so you can transfer money directly into my account. I don't trust that. I require you to write a check and post it to me. And I was sort of flabbergasted because I was still at school in South Africa when we were phasing our checks because, you know, checks were being washed and, and so much fraud committed on checks. So so the U.S., and, and it's still very prevalent today, especially in our industry, is people rely on paper processes, checks, vouchers, and it's very cost inefficient, right? Because you've got these processes where you have to approve payments, then somebody's writing out a check, then it needs to be signed. Then you, if you want to expedite the cargo, you need a courier to rush that check or a couple of checks off to the airline. They then have to reconcile in their system. Oh, it's messy. So a lot of inefficiency. And, and you rightly said, if you had to ask me today, and, and I have to say that it's very difficult to get exact numbers because that's one thing that's not really available in the US. But if you ask me based on everything I've learned so far, is less than 10% of the marketplace is transformed and really adopted online payment processes. That's accelerating as, we, as we're talking now, but there's still huge scope for change in this country. Yeah, and one thing I actually have found interesting about this is, so typically when technology comes along, a lot of the time they will disrupt an industry So, and there will be a loser and a winner. And so, for example, when when Uber comes around and, and starts taking away the traditional takeaway and taking the jobs away. But but when you focus on what pay cargo do, I don't think anyone loses. All you're doing is accelerating and, and adding a service in there. And I struggle to understand, is anyone hesitant against using pay cargo or why are people hesitant about using you? Or are there any challenges that you get? Yeah, there are challenges and there are some losers. There are, there are always losers when, when you have you know, transformation taking place and people are reluctant to adopt the transformation and modernize, right? So I'll give you an example. There are businesses that have been set up because of this whole check, old outdated process, and, and they call them check runners. Basically people who, and, 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 and it's a specific role and it's, it's a pretty big, in, it still is a pretty big industry, where you have these people being paid to collect checks from offices and run them across. That's what they do. Get in a car or a motorbike or whatever, run them across as quickly as possible to get them reconciled by the vendor so that cargo can be released. So there's this whole industry. So they're going to be a bit of a loser in this. They don't have to be. I mean, there's ways and means to work with us and, and transform and, and also you know do something different on their side. But if you're reluctant to do that, you definitely gain or lose. So, yes, if you had to ask me what's the reluctance within the industry, sometimes it's very challenging, especially for the large corporations where they've spent a lot of money and investment in systems, processes, etc. To change that is not always easy. We try and make, as a company, we try and make those transitions as painless and as cost efficient for them. And, and it really is, it's, it's about cost because if you look at the uh, manual check process, and this is a study that was done about three years ago, that cost for that manual paper process, if you're very efficient, could be about $18 at that stage. Pretty sure it's gone up by now. But if you're not efficient, anything from 30 to $40 per transaction. Now you look at an online payment system that really automates a lot of that, the cost that we have per transaction on our side that we charge our payers right now is $7.50.
the cost savings is huge. And now you're not even talking about the fact because you've gone digital, all your information is available at your fingertips, right? You don't have to wait for a month for a branch to close and do document reconciliation and stuff and send a report to you so you can have access to management information. You can just access the system because the next day the information's there. There's a lot of transformation within businesses that take place, but it is it is tough if, if you've invested so much and now you have to change that. Plus, the other side of the coin is, you know, you can have the best system in the world. You can have the best new digital transformation project. If you do not have engagement by people and they actually understand how to use the system and they use it as efficiently as possible, you don't get the benefits, right, of that whole process. So that's the other part is that cultural transformation within companies. It's very, very difficult. Now, the flip side of the coin is if you talk about the smaller companies, the mom-to-pop shops, small to medium enterprises don't always have the funds. That's more their issue is they, especially right now, a lot of them are struggling. They're fighting for survival. So having to adjust and, and purchase new modern systems and that is not always reasonable and, and it's, it's, not, it's not something that they can do. That's our responsibility. And other companies, there's a company called Chain.io, Brian Glick is running it. I don't know if you know him and heard of them, but they sort of help companies also to facilitate getting access to technologies without having to make the huge investments with each different technology. So there, there, there are ways and means to address that. And also time. You use People who use pay cargo save a lot of time. Can you talk a bit about that? Absolutely. So, I mean, the whole idea, as I said, when, when the company was started, was to facilitate the release of cargo on the import side. So if I can give you a practical example of how this would normally work, is let's say, for example, you've got a freight forwarder, they bringing in a shipment on behalf of a client with a specific airline. They wait typically for the airline to notify them manually, or if they're lucky, they've got some automated process, but that's not often, that, that the shipment has arrived or it's, it's about to arrive at the airport. Once that happens, they, they're waiting to find out what is the, the cost that they have to pay. They then have to basically go through their system and normally they've got a whole process where they, they get the invoice they need to pay. They then it goes to some accounts department. They then need to review it, make sure the numbers are correct, approve it. Then it goes for payment, right? It goes to the guy's going to write the checks. Can you please write out a check for this amount? They write out the check. Then that check has to go to somebody else to get a signature because they have to authorize the check, right? Once all of that is done, then they need to get that check across to the vendor. And as I mentioned, a lot of times uh, freight forward has been pushed by the client. I want my goods that I'm shipping into this country released as soon as possible. That's the value you're supposed to be adding to me, right? So they get they get a runner, as I said, or they, they pay money and, and they use a courier to run the check across to, let's say, the airline. The airline then, in the accounts department, they just because they got the check, they're not going to release the cargo. They then have to ingest that check into their financial systems, match it with a shipment. Once that's done and only and the check is cleared, then they can tell their people in operations, okay, you can now release the cargo. Then they need to tell the forwarder, okay, you can, you, it's now been released, you can come pick up. Then only can they send the driver across to go and pick up the cargo. So a very antiquated, laborious, manual, time-intensive process, where if you take an online payment system like PayCargo, 
what we basically do, and the forwarder basically goes into our system once they get the notice that the goods have arrived and they know how much they need to pay. They just go online, they put in the details of the transaction. If there is an integration between us and the airline, once they put in the airway vault, it basically pre-populates all the details. So you take away all the potential areas of somebody putting in, you know, uh, swapping a digit round or getting something wrong, which causes down-the-line issues, right? Part of this payment process on our online system is the person who's doing it, depending on the company policy, can input the details and approve the payment immediately. Or with larger companies, what you see is they have one person inputting and another person approving in the online system. As soon as they hit approve on the payment, what happens is a message immediately ends up with a carrier saying, this this shipment has been approved for payment. And because of the relationship that we have with the carrier, we guarantee the carrier that they will receive their money the next day, the next morning. They release the cargo immediately or next day. So... From the, from the forwarder's perspective, once they hit the payment and they, they know in our system if it's a same-day release carry or next day, they, they don't even have to contact to say, can I send my truck or not send my truck. The carrier knows that it's been paid. They immediately know when they send the truck driver and it just sort of expedites that whole release process. So how is it so far? If we talk about specifics, how many transactions go through pay cargo a year now? Well, I'll give you just for uh, just for December. I mean, we did over two hundred nine thousand transactions through the system. We processed over four billion dollars in twenty twenty, and we basically over the last three years, and we're going to do it again this year. Is we uh, our objective is we don't we don't do the traditional approach where you look at your budget from last year and say, okay, I'm hoping to get maybe ten fifteen percent growth, and that's how we plan our budgets up. We basically take a zero budget and we say, okay, we're going to double our revenue and double our transactions. And as an entrepreneurial driven organization, you might say, well, is that realistic? Well, we make it happen. We find ways to make that happen. And it's all about adding value to the ecosystem, to those payers and vendors using our system. It's, it's because if we didn't do that, they wouldn't be using us. Well, that's what I find amazing. So you are saving people. $10 a transaction. So when you look at the, the the amount that you're saving overall, it's two, did you say 209,000? That's $2 million just off the bat of savings. And the second fact is you're speeding up the velocity of this. I spoke about this with someone else, which was actually the secondary order is because of pay cargo, cargo is flying around the world faster, which means more cargo can fly around the world faster. So because we've got more space available and all of that is so hopefully we'll see, I guess, with all the growth we can fit in without pay cargo, we might not be able to do that. Exactly. And basically, that's why when you ask me, what are we doing as a company? We transforming economies. We helping economies to accelerate and we're accelerating by accelerating that movement of goods through airports, ocean ports, you know, rail, etc. The other interesting phenomenon I might mention is what we've also seen is that when you look at the cost side, our business model is a fee-per transaction and the payer is the one that pays it. The vendors do not pay anything. And in most cases, for payers and vendors, if we do any sort of integration or customization, we don't charge anybody anything. 
we see this as something that we have to do to add value to that ecosystem that we're building within the industry, to be able to do that, to accelerate and grow economies and, and e-commerce. What we have seen with that's been very interesting with COVID is, I mentioned to you at the beginning, this sort of structure where you've got traditional vendors of ocean ports, ocean carriers, airlines, ground handlers, and the payers in the centerpiece. What's transpired now, and the focus that we had initially on inputs, what's transpired now is many vendors are becoming payers and many payers are becoming vendors. So you can imagine, you, you talk about that cost saving now, the $10, right? If, you, if, if you're really efficient and you're, and you're at the $18 mark and we're charging $7.50, you, you're already saving that $10, $11. But over and above that, if you are a payer and, you, and you're paying that reduced cost price and you've got that cost saving, but you also become a vendor, now you've got additional cost savings on that because you basically got no cost. And I'll give you an example. Why is that so powerful? So many of our vendors have, well, they receive credit card payments nowadays, right? Online. So what we do is we become the merchant. So all those merchant fees they were paying go away, which is a huge cost saving for these businesses. Pavecargo becomes the merchant and basically we facilitate the credit card payments on our side and the vendors receive an ACH deposit in their account next day from us. At no cost. Wow. Yeah. So that sounds like a, I because I've seen the pay cargo is very good at partnerships. Is this one of your key focuses, and why has it been one of your key focuses? Absolutely. We believe and we are committed to the fact that you cannot transform an industry by being an island. And we one of the things that we're very good at is we're very focused. So we stick to our swim lane. We know what our business is. There's many shiny balls out there that we could be chasing. We don't do that. We know what our business is. We stick to that. And we find all the other industry players who are committed to also transforming the industry. You know, the IBSs of the world, the Celia, Unisys, you know, all these other service providers in the industry. And then we partner with them. We do API integrations with them. And it's a win-win because basically we're helping, you know, digitize the space to that same objective of, of once again, speeding up the movement of cargo. But it's also about providing visibility across the value chain. So as you would know, you know, if you go back to that example that I said, you've got this young generation that's coming in who've never dealt with anything paper-wise, right? Everything is digital in their lives. And they used to an experience in their personal lives I go on Amazon, I buy something, I can track it every single step of the way, and normally I get it the next day or two days or whatever the case is, right? So when they're coming into the business world and they look at us, I can only imagine what they're thinking, you know, what the heck's going on here? So their expectation is that we've got the same sort of visibility and speed within the business-to-business sector. And they're going to be the new leaders within the industry in a very short period of time, right? So over and above what we've spoken about now, I think visibility is a key component. And in order to have that visibility, you need to have that cooperation of all the value chain players. Because if there's one weak link in this value chain where you do not get that visibility, it all breaks down, right? And talking about that, because of those strengths and your continued growth, you raised, was it $35 million last year? And this is to help your expansion throughout. You're growing in Europe, you're growing outside, and you've got some exciting developments coming up. Can you just talk a bit about that? 
Sure. Um, so yes, we, we were very fortunate. Um, we went through a process where, and I think we're one of the lucky, unique companies in that sense. And it's because of our focus and what we're doing and, and the people. I mean, if you look at our company, our company is, is a company in the payment space for the logistics industry, but manned by people from the logistics industry, people who really understand the industry. So we know the pain points and we understand the business. And then we bring in, obviously, the fintech expertise also. But it's not we're not like a traditional bank who's focused on the payment side and then basically as a business, you, no matter what your business is, you sort of have to adjust to the payment process. We come from it from a perspective that we're from the logistics industry and we're building this to facilitate payments within that space. So that's sort of the focus uh, from Paycogger. So we've been really successful at that. And that's, uh, I think, why one of the key success factors. Plus, we've got, you know, a very entrepreneurial group of people. So when we would, uh, started thinking about having an investment in the organization, we were blown out of the water because we had 45 plus venture capital firms approaching us to be part of Paycargo. Which is, which is an extraordinary thing and position to be in. So we, we were very lucky that we could, uh, we could look at all of these various venture capital firms and find the right partner. So, I mean, we had, I can tell you, the top venture capital firms in the world speaking to us, the top, the creme of the creme. We chose one of those, which is obviously Insight Partners, but we, but we were in the fortunate position that we could really look at Insight Partners and say, this is an organization or a venture capital firm that knows our space. They're extremely entrepreneurial in the way they deal with things. They are great fit and match for us. Plus, in their investment portfolio, they've got some other companies that are strategic fit for our objectives to grow down the line globally. To be honest, from a financial perspective, we didn't really actually need the cash injection at that point in time. But obviously, one of your, your biggest challenges as a growing organization, especially when you grow at the rate that we're growing at, is that you, you need to be spending a lot of money to ensure that you've got the processes, procedures, and people in place to be able to deal with that growth, customer service, the technology development side. Because as you're scaling very quickly with all these clients, you need to be, you need to be able to keep up that excellent quality services and standards, both in terms of your technology and in terms of providing them with customer service. The investment that we're looking at is going to help us to do that, plus, you know, really expand globally into markets like Europe, where we're already growing, and then Asia, Pacific, etc. If we just look maybe going forward of the challenges, I know we spoke about earlier about the when hopefully or COVID will fall down and we might see things going back. To normal, but but overall, the industry. What do you think some of the challenges are coming up in the coming months or coming years? So, if you had to ask me, what are some of the challenges that that we are seeing within the industry right now? I think right now one of the biggest challenges is all of the demand around e-commerce. It, it's really having a significant impact on the industry. So, and there's two sort of challenges. If you look at it from the maritime side, and then you look at it from the air side. So from the maritime side. You know, normally you would find that January and then February and leading up to the Chinese New Year becomes a bit of a quiet period, right? You've got this rush before the Chinese New Year, and then you've got, you've got two weeks or three weeks of, of, of things locking down in China. 
And then slowly it starts picking up after that. And then you've got the peak really at the end of the year. That's sort of the peak when everybody's shipping things in for the holidays, et cetera. This year is unique from everything that I'm reading and seeing in that the peak that we came out of the end of 2020 is not slowing down. And there's a couple of reasons for that, partly because the, the factories are slammed in China. They've got goods from literally sitting on the floor, so they cannot move it out. There's equipment shortages in China, so they don't have the right equipment or enough equipment to get all of, especially on the ocean side, to get all of the goods shipped via maritime to the United States, for example. So you've got this whole backlog within the system. And then if you get to the U.S. side, when when they get you, you know, it's crazy because in Los Angeles, for example, the ports are slammed. So trying to get ships into the ports and then once into the ports, getting those goods off and finding chassis to be able to load these containers on and get them out, it's all it's all one big bottleneck that, that's really driven by this high demand. And if you look on the ocean side, you might say, well, what about capacity? Well, what I was reading is that, you know, normally this time of the year, moving into the Chinese New Year, they you've got about 45 plus blank sailings to the West Coast. This year so far, there's two. So that should tell you something. So all the capacity is there, but they still can't meet the demand. And what this is doing, obviously, within the marketplace, it's driving rates up like you can't believe. It's absolutely crazy. So where you had contract rates maybe in place from the beginning of last year, or it's probably like April last year, $2,000, dollars people are paying up to $8,000 to ship a container now to the West Coast. Part of that is, you know, it's, it's the, con- the spot market rates, which I think are around about $4,500 right now. But on top of that, you're paying extra fees if you want to actually make sure that you secure your cargo out of China into the U.S. and have an expedited release of that cargo once it gets into port here. And even if you pay that, it's not guaranteed. But but it's crazy. And and on the air freight side, it's the same thing. I mean, you're looking at prices of over $8, right, on the air freight side, which is just astronomical compared to what it was a year ago. But on the air freight side, the, the difference there is we've got a capacity issue. All the passenger flights and 50% of air cargo used to be flown around in the bellies of passenger planes. So with very limited passenger planes flying around, that has put a huge squeeze on our industry. We've got limited capacity out there, super high demand. And what's happening on the ocean side is also with those really high costs, not a lot, but there is also some movement from the ocean side to the air side. Because the air side traditionally is, is, you know, it's obviously more expensive. So it's your high value goods and time sensitive goods that fly on air versus on the ocean side. So you're seeing a little bit of a shift there. So the whole ecosystem, and then you look at everybody working from home with COVID, e-commerce is driving that. You've got the vaccine distribution. You've got PPE. I mean, it's just a crazy environment. So I think that's going to be a big challenge for us in the coming year, maybe two years to deal with. I, I don't see it relenting in, in the short term. Plus, one other thing, I mean, and just as an example, is you're having a big change in how the roles of people and, and how they normally function. So if you're a ground handler, traditionally you had your processor set up in the airport really around managing the cargo of either freighters 
all these passenger planes that were carrying the cargo. Now, all of a sudden, you had these praters, right, passenger planes carrying freight. Now, now you've got a challenge because now you have to change your processes and procedures, getting people to take cargo out of planes where passengers used to sit, right? So it's a whole different ball game. And then you put COVID on top of that where this is an environment where people are in close contact are having to work, so you're getting cases of COVID. So finding people who are willing to do the work on the ground is a challenge. There's a lot. So if you ask me what's the challenge, I mean, there, there's a whole list. I can must probably carry on for another two hours. <laughs> yeah, no, I can imagine. And anyone listening to this, how can they get in touch with Pay Cargo? What's the best way if they want to get involved with Pay Cargo or use Pay Cargo? What's the best way of getting in touch? We got a really intuitive website. So I would just say go to paycargo.com, go to our website. You can look at all our products and services on there. It's got a very easy reach out contact mechanism directly on the website. All our telephone numbers and email addresses are available on there if you want to reach out to the team. And we'd be really, really happy to hear from, from the stakeholders who want to speak to us. And not only not only just vendors and players, but you know, other companies that, that feel that we can collaborate together to make a difference to help transform the industry. Brilliant. Thank you very much. This has been great. And then um, we'll definitely get you on again next year when you've doubled in size and all these issues are gone and there'll be new issues to deal with. Excellent. Thanks, Nick. I really enjoyed chatting with you. Brilliant. Thanks a lot, Lionel. Thank you for listening. I really hope you enjoyed this episode. Next week, I'll be speaking to Simple Flying, the world's largest aviation news website. Until then, have a great week.